Welcome to Vegan Radio number 67 from the Boston Vegetarian Food Festival 2008. Interviews conducted by Megan Shackleford and myself, Derek Goodwin, with vegan celebrities and just normal, everyday people. We have Evelyn Kimber, uh, who has helped organize this event. She's the president of the Boston Vegetarian Society. We have Jay Steele, cookbook author of a hot new vegan cookbook called Get It Ripe. We have Male, who is going to talk to us from the Thanking the Monkey Book booth, which she is representing for Karen Don, who is also there. But we already interviewed her, so we thought maybe you wanted to hear some new perspective. And then there's the organization Organic Athlete, who has a bunch of vegan bikers and runners and an online community. We have uh, Josh Hooten from Herbivore. We have Robert Cheek, the bo- vegan bodybuilder and uh, co-owner of the Vega Vegan Nutrition Supplement Company that is sweeping the nation. What else can I say? Dr. Michael Greger, icon of the vegan movement, now working for the Controversial Humane Society. All that and more of our normal shenanigans right here on Vegan Radio. Thanks for tuning in. WXOJLP Northampton 103.3 FM and veganradio.com. Urging everyone to go vegan. My name is Evelyn Kimber, and uh, I'm uh, on the organizing committee for the Boston Vegetarian Food Festival. Have you been doing this since the beginning? Yes, I've been involved since the beginning. I'm also president of the Boston Vegetarian Society. We're the organization that puts on this festival, and we've been around for 21 years. How, what, what year is this for the festival? This is the 13th annual Boston Vegetarian Food Festival. And it's crazy. Like it seems every year we come back, it's just like more intense. Well, it's bigger, it, bigger. Is there are there any plans to move it to a new space? We have done a lot of uh, extensive site research, and it's a complicated reply, probably too long for this interview. <laughs> but uh, we have noticed that it's uh, grown and become crowded. But Very I'll tell you, the comment that we most often get from people is that the energy in the room is so exciting. And uh, so we hope that people leave with just a really good feeling. And the feedback that we get throughout the year is so positive and so rewarding. Uh, it keeps us going. It's a lot of work organizing it, but it's really rewarding when we hear the feedback. We bump into people throughout the year who count this day as a turning point in their life. When they've learned something or saw something, a speaker, a video, a book, um, an exhibitor, a nonprofit organization, that just turned their head and made them want to change their life and stop eating animals. And the great thing about this is that it's totally free, and you've got lectures going on all day by vegan doctors, vegan bakers, and people, it's such a central location that people are just come in off of the street who aren't vegetarian, who are like, what's going on? Let's check this thing out. They come in, they get all these free food samples, and they're introduced to vegetarian and vegan food. Well, that's awesome. That's actually our main intention is to draw in the non-vegetarians. I mean, we're very happy that the vegans and vegetarians come and feel supported by the event and find new resources and so forth and make connections. But our real goal is to draw in the non-vegetarians. We put up subway ads. We do a lot of publicity and legwork to bring in the non-vegetarians because we want to show them that if they think that being vegan is sacrificial or limiting or restrictive or hard, 
No. Walk around this room, 120 exhibitors, taste food samples, and we want to show the wide variety of delicious vegan, uh, uh, dairy-free, non, dairy-free, egg-free, vegetarian foods that are readily available in the marketplace. Awesome. And how many people uh, come through here in one day? Do you have a statistic? Well, admission is free and people come and go over the course of the day, so we don't know exactly, but we ask our exhibitors what they think and the numbers go, you know, 10,000, 50,000. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> 50,000. Oh, no, excuse me, 15. I oh, can't even... 15. Well, we, we could say 50. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't think the building would hold that many, but it's a lot of people and everyone seems to be having a good time. Do you ever think of instead of trying to find a different venue, maybe just extending the event for two, make it a two-day event? Oh. We have looked into extending a two-day event, and um, you know, every question that seems like it should have a simple answer has actually a little bit more complicated answer. It would be a matter for our exhibitors who come who have refrigerated product; they would have to be refrigeration overnight. Where to stay. And, yeah, I mean, it's so more expensive. Yeah, and the Reggie Lewis Center is actually not open on Sundays, so we would have to, it would be a great deal more expense because we'd have to be opening a building that is normally closed on a Sunday and all the extras that go into that. So, you know, it's certainly not out of the question, and we're always revisiting every year we revisit these questions. But uh, What about changing the weekend so it doesn't conflict with Halloween partying? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, actually, this is two weeks later than we usually have it. Because the, the Natural Products Expo East moved to Boston and took our usual weekend. Mm. And since many of our exhibitors also need to show there, we didn't want to have a conflict, so we moved ours. And um, actually, next year, this event is going to be on October 31st. No! <laughs> so well, actually, it's not. I think it's better if it's on Halloween because you can come during the day and then go out at night. But if it's the day after Halloween and you're out all night and then you... You come here and you're a little not quite with it. And then you're trying to interview people and it sounds like you're... This is getting very personal. We, we thought we might call it the Boston Vegetarian Spooky Food Festival and, you know, invite our exhibitors to come and costume. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. It's a long way off. Sounds great. All right. Anything else you want to tell our gajillions of listeners? No, I just appreciate the work that you both do and we're we're... So pleased and honored to have you here with us today, and thank you for your constant uh, just plugging forward uh, to, to promote a more compassionate world. Well, next year you got to make room for the vegan bus here, you know. <laughs> Drive it right onto the floor. That's what I'm saying. Now we're talking on the same page. Thanks, Evelyn. Thank you. Thank you. We're here with uh, Jay Steele, cookbook author. What's this book you got? <laughs> it's called Get It Right. And it's a fresh take on vegan living is the subtitle, but meaning that it's a more holistic uh, health approach to veganism. As compared to what? Um, Junk food that, veganism? Well, yeah, sort of. I think when we a lot of us get into veganism, we, um, we get into the faux versions of the products that we know and love that are animal-based. And I really don't feature any of those things in my book because I like to get back to real, like, plant foods the way they're meant to be and kind of the way you see them if you go to a farmer's field and, and uh, what they look exactly. like there. Yeah. And, and those faux foods are good for a transition, but I believe that then after that, our direction 
should be white, back Turned to white. sugar and white flour. No! Oh, my God. I'm a, I'm a vegan baker, so he's, right. he's well, messing me with me. Me too, me too. And, you know, that's how I, one of the things that I always lure people into a vegan diet is I make these amazing chocolate cakes. Nice. And I just don't say that they're vegan until right. they've, like, polished off two, like, right. platefuls. And I'm like, did you know that that actually had no eggs or dairy in it? And nice. they're like, get out of town. So that's nice. Um, and do but, you use, like, when you're making the chocolate cake, are you using, like, spelt flour and yeah. maple syrup? All the recipes like are wheat-free. If they're gluten-free or soy-free, if they're nightshade-free, meaning they don't have any tomatoes, eggplants, potatoes, um, bell peppers, because people avoid those. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they're raw, then those are labeled as such as well. It's a neat evolution with food. Like So we talk about, like, starting off with some of the faux products. But... Um, the more that research that I've done, I've actually been looking at other like alternative diets and I get a lot of inspiration from them and, and realize that it's something that can really supplement a vegan diet. So where I was using a lot of soy-based products to make things creamy before, I then started uh, looking into raw foods and realizing they were using a lot of nuts. Mm-hmm. And so like a tomato soup recipe that I used to make with dairy, I then used, then made it with soy and now I actually soak cashews overnight and then make a cashew cream to uh, nice. make a creamy tomato soup, which is just really nice. It's just something different to do. Or to make like an avocado mousse instead of making... Oh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, so instead of making uh, silken tofu and that kind of stuff, it's just something to mix it up a bit, but also to recognize that foods in their wholest form are what nature intended us to be eating to build our bodies, which is a cool thing. But also trying to make the information more palatable and and not so dry, because I I find that there are a lot of of health resources, not a fun vegan cookbooks, but it's finding that middle ground where it's like still fun, but very like educational which is kind of the plan awesome that's what vegan radio is fun and educational yes, yes you could tell just by looking at us <laughs> and did, you, did you say that you have a background in nutrition yeah so i actually um started off uh just with an interest in organic farming and then started working with some chefs and saw, met a bunch of really unhealthy chefs and was like okay that's kind of weird like these people are about food but Clearly, the food isn't really serving them very well or something. And then I just, it happened to be one day I opened up, like, my free weekly paper. And there was, like, a section on, like, change your career or something weird, like, that I never thought would speak to me. And it happened to be that they had listed this um, holistic nutrition school. And I, it was just such an awesome experience to just be in a classroom talking constantly about the things that I was always so engaged in and doing all sorts of self-education uh, on. And, um... Well, the program itself wasn't as thorough as I think it needed to be. It was a great catalyst for me in doing other things. And, and you know, the school itself wasn't vegan-focused, but it's, it was a good... Um, it, was, it, it, it supplemented everything that I'd been thinking about veganism already. So. And, and you were vegan before you started that? Yeah. I, um, <laughs> that was a really loud sneeze in the background there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I um, I became vegan when I was on an organic farm. The story I told upstairs earlier in my lecture oh, was actually... Oh, we missed actually, it, we're sorry. Well, yeah, you missed it. Tell us again. But, tell us again. Um, so I was on this vegan farm, and I... Oh, you were on a vegan farm? No, sorry, I was on an oh, organic... I was, like, no, I was like, tell us where no, it is. I'm lying, I'm lying. It was a vegan farm. Yeah. Sorry, in Nova Scotia. Wow. And it was actually like a family-run herb farm. And um, and they were like, okay, we'll buy some dairy for you because we know that you have a cheese addiction when I first got there. But they're like, we're not into that, but if you feel that's necessary for you, wow. that's cool. And then as I was exposed to more and more Whole Foods, weeks went by where we didn't need to go get cheese from the grocery store anymore. 
and then it happened to be this guy showed up at the farm who was vegan and I just like developed the hugest crush on him oh. so it wasn't about health it wasn't Veganism about environmentalism yes it wasn't about <laughs> you know animal rights or anything like that it was just I was like I am hot for you I will do whatever you're into and then wow. and then the funny thing was is that he promptly took off to work for an animal rights organization in California but the veganism stuck and so it's this cool thing where he was like this catalyst for finding something that was actually going to resonate with me really well so it was a neat kind of evolution that uh, came you still to talk to him we're Facebook friends. Yeah. Facebook friends. Uh, can yeah, we be, can we be your fake Facebook friends too? Please, please find me. <laughs> Do indeed. Jay Steele. Anything else about this book you should tell us? Well, the, I really believe in the practical application of like health information and also just seeing things in action is really important for me. So I started making some little cooking videos. So if you go to youtube.com slash get it right, you'll see I've the first three of my cooking videos are up right now. And so, so you're doing video. Yeah, in my own kitchen, you can see me making, you know, a green drink or flax maple cookies or a pasta salad or whatever. And nice. there's some nutritional info in there. Will you send out some vegan love to Aaron Stathis? Oh, I'm happy to. Who is that? <laughs> you just do a she's, shout, she's say a shout out for Aaron Stathis. Yeah, she's one of your biggest fans. Oh, that's so kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really thrilled by the response that the book has gotten so far. It's not even six months old yet, but it seems yeah. to have gotten a really lovely response, and she's, I'm really into that. She's definitely made some recipes. Maybe we should get her a signed, signed copy or something. Oh, she's already got it. <laughs> it's not signed. <laughs> We could take her unsigned copy. It's not good decadent here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got any sequels coming up, or you're just well, yeah, promoting I mean, this? Well, yeah, it's now? a funny, you know, the book publishing process is funny because the book was totally done a year ago. So when it came out, I was like, oh, that's so six months ago. I mean, not really. I mean, it's fun to have it nice wrapped up in this lovely little package. But um, a lot of the recipes, actually, that I had prepared for the first book, I had to hold back because we didn't have enough pages. Oh, wow. So, um, I held back a lot of the more locally focused uh, recipes because I want to do a cookbook that's more focused on local eating and actually connecting and community building around food and that kind of thing and eating with the seasons and recognizing the stuff that grows around us and, you know, survives through the winter is the stuff that we should be eating in the winter, just like all those beautiful fresh greens and berries and stone fruit and stuff is what we should be eating in the summer. So um, the next book will focus a lot on that and environmentalism and uh, more so and uh, community building. So that's the plan. Sounds great. And what, do you- do you, what do you do when you live in New England and you hate root vegetables? What do you do? You learn what do you do, Jay? Do you learn to love them, or do you oh, eat other things? Maybe it's such a, a combination. Of, like, I think it's a combination of both. Like, maybe you start to get into juicing beets and other things, and blending them with other things that you enjoy. Or, like, I have a recipe in here that's for um, maple roasted roots. Mm-hmm. So you just oh. take a ton of root vegetables, sweeten them with maple. Yeah, and then you toss it up with some maple syrup, some olive oil, some sea salt, and maybe like thyme or another herb that you like or something like that and then you've got a really nice flavorful dish so it's just kind of finding out ways because that's the thing is that especially when you're exposed to foods that we're not very familiar with we don't know how like we will like them best so it's really like a trial and error thing for a while but I figure like some root vegetables should speak to you on some level we'll find your inner root vegetable (laughs) you like sweet potatoes don't you? they're okay (laughs) what about white potatoes? not really no? yeah Sweet potatoes are definitely, especially they're more warming in the sense that even visually you see orange on your plate and you're like, ooh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> a true foodie. A true foodie talking about sweet potatoes. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're so glad we found you. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> Who knew? <too. laughs> Who knew? Jay Steele. Jay Steele. All the way from Have you ever seen my blue steel? Well, <laughs> 
Ben Stiller. Zoolander. Oh, come on. <laughs> All right. The one. disconnect. This is the American disconnect. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're Canadian. You wouldn't understand. Oh, we have to start talking about, yeah. I don't know, maple syrup or something <laughs> like that. Get us back on, <laughs> back on track. Maple syrup, eh? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, take care. This This is is Beloved Binge, and you are listening to Vegan Radio on WXOJLP Northampton 103.3 FM. Also available at the Pacifica Radio Network and and podcasting at veganradio.com. Every year you're given 2,000 cows, chickens, pigs, fish, a life of Listen to Vegan Radio all the time. Hello. Hello. Could you tell me your name and uh, what you're doing here? <laughs> My name is Molly, and I am working with Karen Dawn, selling her amazing animal rights book, Thanking the Monkey. Here telling people why they should buy it, why they should read it, and why they should give all their friends one for Christmas. Oh, that's a good idea. It is a good Christmas present. It's a book that can be enjoyed by people of all ages and uh, backgrounds. I agree. I mean, people come up and ask, and they say, oh, you know, I'm vegan. Why would I need this book? And um, as Karen put earlier, it's an encyclopedia of all the issues. And, I mean, I know I bought it after I read it. And as a vegan, I was like, I don't know if I really need another animal rights book. But I find that it's easy to start conversations better with the way she presented the information. It's easier to to talk to my non-vegetarian friends and say, well, listen, the way she phrased this, though. And, you know, her philosophy is you, you do what you can. You don't have to be extreme as people think we vegans are <laughs> that's true we have to we have to overcome that uh idea of vegan being an extreme diet or extreme lifestyle it's not that extreme isn't it funny that they think extreme is abstaining from all of it whenever it seems a little abnormal and extreme to me to go through all the trouble to kill the animals and eat them now is that you or is that karen don talking might be a little both <laughs> you're starting to get the english accent too Spending way too much time with her, I think. No, yeah. sir, that's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your name? Mickey. Mickey? Yes. And how old are you? Twelve. Twelve? You're vegetarian? Yes. How long have you been? Uh, my whole entire life. Your entire life? Yep. Vegan? Yep. Wow. What's that been like? Uh, it's been kind of hard because at school, everybody's always eating something different. And I'm usually the one with a different lunch. But you get used to it, and all my friends are supported, supportive of me. So when you go to birthday parties, parties and stuff, does your mom give you like vegan cupcakes and? Yep, yep, she does. So when you get older, you're gonna rebel and try eating chicken or something? Um, I've been thinking about it. It's kind of been hard trying to stay on it because everybody's kind of pressuring me. Like, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Um, but I think I'm gonna stick to it. Have you ever gone to a farm animal sanctuary and met the animals? Yep. So when people tell you, when people try to pressure you, do you can you like think of the animals and that I you've met and they're your friends? 
I usually tell them all the information. And my mom sometimes gives me the packets um, to take to school, and I and I give them information about it. So, do you have any any friends that have uh, you've influenced to change their diets at all? No. No, not yet. No. You got to keep working on the angles. Yeah. It'll come though. If you be the person that you want to be, that's attractive to other people. Yep. Do you live in the uh, Boston area? Yep, I live in yeah Boston. Oh what God. grade are you in? It's so uh, seven. Do you know that this is Mickey? Wait, who's your mom? Mary. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I used to take oh your pictures, remember? God. Derek? Yes! Oh, yeah! Do you remember when we came to your house? Yeah, okay. So funny. Derek, Derek took pictures of their family. No meat for Mary. Yeah, no meat for Mary. Oh, my God. Okay, now I'm feeling really old. <laughs> <laughs> so your mom's here somewhere? Yeah, she's working in the children's center. she causing trouble? What? She's stirring up trouble over there? Well, I don't know. Oh, my God. You don't know? <laughs> she says she's gonna rebel when she's 16. What? She's gonna rebel when she's 16. Did you say that? No. Then when she's 17, she's gonna go back. My name is Matthew Miller, and I'm here at the Boston Vegetarian Food Festival with Organic Athlete. And what Organic Athlete is, is it's a national organization with chapters across the country and a couple chapters in Europe that basically promotes health and ecological stewardship through athletic example. Nice. You got that one down. What's that? I said you got that line down. I know, right? <laughs> um, so is Organic Athlete, are, are you all vegans, or is it just... Um, we actually have a broad spectrum of athletes. There's a professional cycling team that's based out of California, and those athletes are all vegan. Um, however, we accept people of all abilities and age levels and um, people who are anywhere on the spectrum of, uh, of eating. So vegan, vegetarian, anything like that, we welcome all members. So is the emphasis on not using... Um, steroids and stuff to <laughs> well that that as well that's sort of uh, that's implied that's less of an overt message but it's definitely um, implied is that what we want to do is create a network of athletes who are providing a positive example and being positive role models and not only demonstrating through our performance but also how we live our lives that you can be a healthy athlete um, and be vegan and vegetarian at the same time it's a great message how do people uh, who are interested become involved um, what you can do is go on the website it's www.organicathlete.org and you can search for chapters that are in your area and that's really a great way to um, get involved it's a grassroots organization so we really need member support um, and the best way to get involved is to either join a chapter or to start a chapter in your area if there's not one already in existence so if you're out in the hills somewhere and you're just a lone vegan athlete, can you go on the website and get like uh, information about training and different regimens and what people are doing? Exactly. So that's one of the benefits is that you're connected to a broader network of athletes across the country, um, and there are a lot of online resources. And all it takes is really one person to get out there and to start a chapter and to be a positive example, and it, 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 it goes from there. But all you need is one person to start to make a difference, and then more people will learn about what you're doing as the word gets out, and pretty soon it blossoms into what it is right now. So. Excellent. Well, thanks Thank for being here. Thank you.
This is John Darnell from the Mountain Goats. You're listening to Vegan Radio on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, Northampton, 103.3 FM. The king of the jungle was asleep in his car When your chances fought in your lap like that You gotta recognize them for what they really are Nobody in this house wants to own up to the truth Crawl in shotgun and reach into his mouth. Grab hold of one long sharp tooth and hold on. Here, Vegan Radio, Boston Vegetarian Food Fest. And we have the uh, icon of the vegan movement, <laughs> Josh Hooten, yeah. herbivore man. Yep, herbivore nice. magazine, herbivore clothing yep. company, herbivore porn supplies. <laughs> Tell us about everything you do. Well, we do a lot of porn supplies. Um, we're getting into blow-up animals for people that are into bestiality, but wow. don't want to do cruelty stuff. <laughs> it's the latest faux fashion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we don't do that yet, but but um, it's an idea. It's it's a it's a better outlet. For that uh, <laughs> unnatural urge. Better out than in. <laughs> We're talking about bestiality. Sarah Kramer's uh, ears perked up. Yeah. I don't know what's up with her. Speaking of horse touchers, let me tell you a little story about her. We were in Vegas once. There's a whole video on So that. drunk. Yeah, you got to YouTube that. Boop. Yeah, I've seen the video. Sarah Kramer, horse toucher. But the, but <laughs> but we had the I mean the horse signed off the horse it was all consensual mutual. touching right the horse was solely into it so what can you do what can you do Peter Singer was there and oversee the entire Peter Singer oh, it was a utilitarian touching he got this stamp of Peter Singer stamp of bestial <laughs> approval. <laughs> Wow, this really went a weird direction really I fast. I know. We didn't, we didn't even have time Derek's to... one of the interviewers. Well, I know. I, I think you're one of my, um, you know, one of my inspirations in the vegan movement because uh, I think we have kind of similar ideas about how to promote veganism using our creative talents. And, you know, you're, you're obviously a couple of steps ahead of me with the graphic design <laughs> stuff, but... But you know, as long as you as long as you stay out of radio, I think we'll be all right. Yeah, a couple of steps, eight, ten steps, whatever, however many. Eight, ten, twenty, counting. No, about the creative stuff. I think that one thing that I always try to get people to do is think about what they're actually good at doing instead of trying to do things for the animals that they that they suck at, like protesting. Like if you suck at protesting, don't go to a protest. Yeah, that's how I always felt at protests. I felt so out of place and I'm not I'm not that kind of like confrontational vegan right. I was always good at protesting Megan was good <laughs> as long as, until, until someone threw meat at her and then she oh, got a little upset awful. oh that would be bad news side of beef upside the head <laughs> changed your ideas about, about protesting that. okay let's, let's keep our focus positive here yeah so so use your talents use what you got yeah well I mean all the time you spend doing something that you suck at is time you didn't do something you're actually really good at so it doesn't make sense to spend your time being unproductive like if you're really good with creative stuff that's what you should be doing that's what you should offer to the movement if you are really good at protesting that's what you should be doing so um, but I wasted a lot of time trying to do all the things that I wasn't good at because there's only so many things that 
especially new people think are the sort of the acceptable levels or, or acceptable ways to do activism, and it's just not true. But um, so I always encourage people to think about it and think, what am I actually good at? Am I an organizer? Am I a creative? Am I a musician? Am I whatever? And then find a way to, to, to offer that up to the movement. It's much better that way. So if, say someone was like a really good bowler, how, how would they apply that, their veganism and bowling into the same, uh, same uh, animal rights promoting message? That is a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They could, uh, well, they could make vegan bowling shoes. That would be a welcome change. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they could do uh, fundraising tournaments. Oh, there you go. They could hit meat eaters with bowling balls. I mean, it's really... Oh, that's an even better idea. Bowling for omnivores. (laughs) Midnight bowling. (laughs) Stand up a bunch of omnivores, (laughs) roll the balls at them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and they're they're probably not going to be as uh, agile (laughs) as a vegan would be trying to dodge a bowling ball. So So can you talk a little bit about um, why you switched over in your magazine to... Uh, putting it all on the computer and kind of like the industry a little bit because I find that fascinating. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. Uh, sure. Uh, the magazine industry is a really awful industry that's really difficult to not lose a lot of money in. Um, and everybody gets paid but the publisher. So the stores get paid, the shippers get paid, the printers get paid, everybody gets paid. But by the time it's all parceled out, the, the publisher doesn't really have very much money left. But magazines exist in a certain realm in everybody's head where they can only cost a certain amount of money. So what most magazines do is they, they, make, their, they make their living by selling ads. So they can sell that. That's why you can get a year's worth of whatever for $5. It's because they don't care if they take a loss on the actual physical product. They make it all back because then they get to say to their advertisers, look at how big our circulation is. So we were never interested in nor had the ability to get really big advertisers. Um, and we wanted to support all the people that that could afford ads with us by, by being able to give them ads that they could actually afford to put in the magazine. Because we felt like we were talking about the community, um, but all of the people that do little businesses are part of that community. So if we were so expensive and we excluded them all, it kind of doesn't make any sense, which ultimately killed my magazine. <laughs> <laughs> But so. not so. What what your magazine's kind of transformed into something else? What is that? What it, where is it at now? Um, we're going to we're doing three more issues of the magazine, um, but we're going to do them as books, um, so that we don't have to sell ads, and we can. Um, we just want to do more sort of long lasting publications. So we're going to do the last three issues of the magazine uh, more like books, and then we're going to start doing straight books after that of different all different kinds of topics, all vegetarian and animal rights related. Um, but in a book format instead. So you're going to be a publishing company? Yeah. And if, if a vegan uh, out there has a great idea for a book, they can come to you and see if uh, you'll help them out? I'll decide if it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm always up for giving people advice on how to publish stuff. We have really limited funds, and we it's expensive to do books too. So um, it's hard for us to get all of the good ideas that we want to cover done on our own. Right. You're doing your own books. Yeah. That's what's happening. But I also like to think that I'm a good resource for people who want to get stuff published. I know a lot of people that do publish books. I know a lot of printers. I know a lot of different ways to get stuff published. So um, so people that are interested in publishing something, if I can't do it, I'm interested in helping them get it done. And I certainly have no... That information is no secret. I'm totally happy to share everything I know about publishing with anybody that is interested in doing something like that. 
Do you have any secrets that uh, you want us not to tell people about? <laughs> yeah. Um, one time I stuck this boop, and then in the boop, and there was this, uh, the cops came, and I, then I was like, hey, copy, boop, it, and then it just went downhill from there. <laughs> so is that uh, tied into your um, cop cop outfit you wear to the hoedown? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> so last night was Halloween, and um, my wife is back home in Portland, and we had a Halloween event at the store, the herbivore store, and she wore my cop outfit, my hot cop outfit, but on her, it's much bigger, so she went as the vegan police, so I totally got like a double oh. use out of my... Oh, wow. That was a good investment for you. <laughs> yeah. And you buy a cop stripper outfit online, and you think, how many times are I going to need this thing? <laughs> Every time answer. you give a talk. <laughs> right, yeah. Are you, are you going to bust it out at any more talks, or is that just a one-time? I think that was a one-time thing. I think uh, I'll probably I'm something. glad I got to see it then. <laughs> I wish I had a video. I just felt so like I had too many clothes on, so I think the next one it will be probably like something less less restrictive clothing-wise. You know what? They, have you been over to uh, Robert Cheek's uh, booth over there? Not today. Oh. <laughs> well, they have these, uh, you, know, the sh- you know how girls wear those... Shorts that have things written across. Oops. I do. Yeah, they have they have some over there that say vegan on them. I think if you wear one of those with nothing else into a into a room, you'd get a lot of attention. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I That's have nothing I else. To say. <laughs> I have no other response to that. <laughs> you could show off your package too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, I could do that anyways. So besides your new publishing company or like publishing books is that your big project that's coming up do you have any other projects because you it seems like you have a multitude of do you know that herbivore is in a vegan mini mall in portland is a vegan mini mall no there is a vegan mini mall oh i kind of heard about that from janet yeah. tell us tell our listeners about your little vegan wonderland out there <laughs> yeah well portland's pretty awesome um we have a we call it the vegan mini mall which we started calling it that as a joke but then we couldn't stop calling it that, so that's what it's called now. But it's us, um, the Herbivore Store, and the Sweet Pea Vegan Bakery is next to us. And then Food Fight Vegan Groceries on the other side of us. And then on the other side of Food Fight is uh, Scapegoat, uh, which is a vegan-owned tattoo shop. Nice. So all their inks are vegan, all their um, supplies and the stuff they put on your tattoo after you get tattooed is all vegan and not animal tested and stuff like that. So we call it the Vegan Mini Mall, and that's we were all friends and... But we're all workaholics, so we never saw each other. But now we see each other all the time because we're always at work. But we're all together now. So, so that's another uh, creative vegan activity right there. Just like creatively figuring out how to get together with your friends and keep being a vegan activist at the same yeah. time. And it becomes kind of a hub of, of community and activity. And everybody comes down there and they go to all the stores and they say hi to everybody. And a lot of good stuff happens because, just because of proximity to each other. So that's really good. So does a tattoo shop get a lot of people who aren't vegan going there? Just yeah, they do. Um, the owner, we call it a vegan tattoo shop just because the owner and the tattoo artists are all vegan. So there's not that many things that go on in a tattoo shop that, that involve animal products. But for me, what's important is when I get tattooed there and I give them my money, they don't go buy a steak with it. So the money stays in the community that much longer. Um, and gets used for good things by good people. So that's sort of the vegan side of the tattoo shop. The vegan economy. Exactly. And I wonder how the food. vegan economy is doing right now. Oh, God. Speaking of food, what is the best vegan restaurant in Portland? Is there one? Oh, God. Um, let's see. That's a tough question. I like Blossoming Lotus a lot. 
they've got really good food. Their food is really like big and rich, but it's really healthy. So you don't feel like you just did a really terrible thing to your body after you eat there. Like you ate it like food swings or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or You're TJ like, Scallywags oh, here. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I was eating there last night and it was it was really good and I was like, that was more grease than I've had in yeah. the last year combined. <laughs> Um, but I like Blossoming Lotus. There's a, um, a vegan, there's a Mexican food truck that um, had a all vegan, they had, they had a regular menu and then they had a, a vegan menu as well. And they're opening a new location that's all vegan, Whoa, which I'm really excited about. The awesome. family, it's this really awesome family. And the youngest daughter saw Earthlings. I think Chad from Food Fight lent her the DVD wow. Earthlings. She went vegan, showed her family, showed her church. I think our whole family is vegan now. But still, they have the other to stay in business. They still yeah, have the I mean, meat it's a little, section. Yeah, it's a little family business, yeah. but they do more vegan than anything else. So That's awesome. It's just such a great story. It's like they're like a Mexican family that just don't, don't traditionally exist within the animal rights movement, which I think is a shame. But they couldn't deny the truth of the film and had to do stuff. And they did, you know, they were doing what they already did well, which was make food. So now they make awesome vegan food. So it's it's just it's one of my favorite stories about that I've heard about animal rights people at all. Wow. Well, you haven't heard our story, <laughs> <laughs> and you're not going to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> not in public. <laughs> what do you think is your best form of like vegan outreach education? What do you think works the best? Like, what works best for you? Oh yeah, that's people? good. I think that, um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good question because we, we try to do a lot of different types of stuff um, because I feel like there's no right, there's no one way to do it. And a lot of people seem to think that there is like one way to do it, to, <laughs> to do it, to uh, do it, to, ad- to do it, <laughs> ah, to, to advocate for animals. But that's not true. Like a lot of people are against more militant kind of direct action kind of stuff. But there's a lot of people that respond to that right. that nice type of passion. Embrace it all. But there's a lot of people that are turned off by it. So it's just not, there's not one way. There's not two ways. There's a million ways to do it. So we're always trying to do different stuff. So we have our store, um, and we do books and magazines. We, um, we work on another project in Portland that's the Let Live Animal Rights Conference, which we started with Chad and um, the people from No Compromise, David and Andrea. Um, and the Portland Animal Defense League and a bunch of other people. And it's, it was a conference that we did that was all, like, grassroots animal rights stuff. So it's like any, any number of conferences, but on a more of a sort of regional level. And now we're doing a monthly mini-conference that's got a different topic. So we just did a, 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 um, we just did a presentation on vivisection. Um, November is going to be on fur because of Fur Free Friday. We're going to do it right before Fur Free Friday. And are you getting... Are you getting people out there who are not vegans, or how do you like lure those people in? I think that those are the people that we get. Lure. <laughs> those are the people like we get the non-vegan types in the store and stuff like that. We have tons of free literature and stuff like that. And we all talk about animal rights to people that come in the store if it's a good time to do it. Um, with the conference stuff, that's more for activists who need to kind of kick it up a notch okay. and are looking for tools to to be more active and more effective as well. There's a lot of activism I think that just goes in circles. So we're trying to get people to, we're trying to bring in speakers and stuff that are really effective activists and have them help our local people just not spin their wheels and learn how to deal with 
conflicts and learn how to deal with burnout and all these other things so that that actual work can get done. It's nice selling belts and wallets and making t-shirts and it's nice having a vegan bakery and a food store and tattoos and all that stuff. But but ultimately what we're all trying to do is, is save lives. So getting actual real work done is great. I want everybody to buy their next belt for me, but I want them to do more than that um, in their life for animals. So, that's, so we're trying to do it on as many levels as possible. And you're doing a great job. Oh, thanks, Jared. Yeah, yeah. I think you're only five steps ahead, though, Josh. Oh. <laughs> We're gaining on you. Yeah, I've, I've plateaued creatively. I know it. Everyone knows it. I mean, I everyone just, knows it. it. happens to everyone. It's actually yeah. the latest buzz in the vegan community. That's that's yeah. why I I like have been slowly re- releasing my creativity over time. Yeah, yeah. You don't. And also out, learning right? the English language, I've been like slowly working on that too. <laughs> yeah, always and, uh, working on that one. Too. So so I'm not going to have a peak. I'm just going to be like a slow release caplet of. Uh, <laughs> creative vegan energy yeah a slow release caplet of vegan creative energy i like that yeah that's a t-shirt you can use like that, that on a t-shirt if you need to <laughs> i'll make one just for you because you're the only person <laughs> i'll that... be the only one that buys it right <laughs> thanks so much josh it's really great to finally get to interview you i uh, anytime i can talk about faux bestiality i'm up for it so. yeah well, well we're gonna have a whole show about that so we'll get you back on <laughs> <laughs> thank you thanks man Hi, I'm Sarah Kramer from GoVegan.net, and you're listening to Vegan Radio. So we're here with Robert Cheek. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks uh, Thanks for coming by. I appreciate it. Good to see you guys out yeah, here. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to see you here. I- I'm here with Vega and Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness rocking two booths here. Yeah? Yeah, you guys are working it. Very, very busy. I, you know, I go to VegFest all over the country, and I think Boston is the biggest and best one. Uh, really, I, I mean that. I've been everyone. World Vegetarian Day Festival, Seattle, all the, all the all over the country, and you guys do Have it. you been to Toronto yet? I haven't been there. And I I've know that, that's, that's the, really that's the biggest one in North America. I, I haven't been there either. But I really to want to, but uh, as far as within the U.S. They won't let you cross the border? <laughs> no, I just haven't made the trip yet. We have a full <laughs> Vega team there, and I've had schedule conflicts for myself, for vegan bodybuilding, all the other times. Cool. Well, we were just uh, recently contacted by Kenneth Williams coming out of retirement or something. Have you talked to him recently? Yeah, he gave me a phone call the other day. He's competing in San Francisco uh, next week or two weeks. Um, yeah, November week. 9th or so. Yeah. is the November 8th or 9th, whatever falls on a Saturday. Yeah, he told me he took some time off, went to Egypt, did some traveling. Um, I think he had some uh, lower back problems too, which I've had also. We all, you know, a lot of us who have the weights go through that. I heard he had some lower back stuff, took him a little while, some time off, and I hear he's coming back. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. We got an exclusive interview with him the other day. Good. And I'm glad to hear you guys are talking. It's good to keep the vegan bodybuilder community together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's there's a lot of us. You know, that's, that's the thing that's important to remember. There's, it's not just me, and it's not just me and Kenneth. I mean, there's a lot of us. We have, I, like I probably told you before, I'm just on my website, veganbodybuilding.com, uh, 1,500 athletes, vegan athletes. Sure, not all compete in bodybuilding, all kinds of different sports, but there are a bunch of competitive bodybuilders, including uh, women too, not just men, but there's female uh, uh, bodybuilders, fitness and figure competitors, which are all different aspects of of women's uh, bodybuilding competition. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of us. You know, Kenneth and I often get a lot of attention because we've been doing it for a while. And we've, you know, been in the magazines and on radio shows and that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of us out there doing it, and we're working to discover more and more people all the time. Because that's how we can grow 
of movement and spread a message through multiple faces, multiple physiques, you know, multiple personalities, not just our own. So there's a place for less physically exquisite people. In the <laughs> Absolutely, <movement>. <laughs> there's, a, there's a place for everyone, and that's that's the important thing to remember. Just with veganism in general or the animal rights movement, I think sometimes we get caught up in you know whose product is better, whose company's better, or whose product is more raw than the other one, or who's more recognized. And for whatever reason, as individuals, we forget about or we overlook the cause that we're actually fighting for or that we claim is important to us and important in our lives because we're trying to, you know, we get, we get caught up in some of the excitement. So the egos. Well, part of it is ego. Part of it is, is, is excitement. Part of it is trying to grow a business. Part of it is there's a lot of different things involved. But we have to remember the fundamental aspects of animal rights and veganism that brought us to this movement in the first place and think what are we doing and how is that going to impact you know, animals, reduce animal suffering? How can I be as effective as possible? And for me, I do that through my, my sports, through vegan bodybuilding, through competitions, through magazine features and articles, through my writing. It's one of my strengths. I love to write through my videos and documentary. That's how I do it. It's, it you can do it any way you want, uh, whether it's through a radio show or writing or talking to your friends at school. We have to remember what's on the line and that the industry, you know, the, or the, I guess the, the animals we're fighting for can't necessarily do it on their own. You know, they, right. We have to speak for those who can't be heard. And I take that responsibility pretty seriously. And I have to put my best foot forward all the time. And sure, it's exhausting. It, it's a lot of long days, long hours. It's tough to maintain, you know, bodybuilding lifestyle with traveling every week and talking to universities and running websites and doing all of that. But it's important because I grew up on a farm for 20 years. I know what goes on in factory farming. I know what goes on in animal testing. I know what's important for me and at the end of the day where I stand on things. And, yeah, there's room for everybody, not just me and Kenneth, not just veganbodybuilding.com, other vegan athlete websites, and Organic Athlete, for example. They're here, too. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about them. Have you, you been over to network with them? Have you? I, I, was, uh, I was one of the very first ever. 2003, Bradley started Organic Athlete, Bradley Saul. I started Vegan Bodybuilding Fitness in 2002. I actually think they started in 2002 also, but we both went online in 2003, and, uh, and we, I was one of the first Organic Athlete members, and I continue to support them, and they supported me. Uh, and then I, I met these guys over here in Boston because there's different chapters all over the country. Right, so, you know, right. we, we are absolutely on the same page and support each other from, you know, uh, for the last half decade. We, we have, absolutely. We've grown together, and we've done a lot of cool stuff. And they focus more on endurance athletes. Runners and cyclists are their main audience. Okay. And ours are, you know, bodybuilders, uh, powerlifters, strength competitors, you know, and some cyclists and runners too, but... They really balance us really well. We balance them really well. We have, you know, more of the muscle. They have more of the endurance. And it, <laughs> it, it reach, you know, it, we reach the wide audiences both ways. That's awesome. And how's the Vega, Vega line of products doing? Oh, it's doing well. You know, we're, um, we're one of the fastest growing companies in the entire country of any industry in Canada. Wow. That's where we're from. We're number eight in the process. Oh, so you're from Canada. <laughs> the company is. I haven't been to the, the Toronto... <laughs> Festival. No, I mean, the company is. They're there all the time. But I live out in Portland, Oregon. Okay. But we are number eight in the Profit 100. We have 4,000% growth. And let me tell you something that's really significant about that. 95% of our global customer base, and it is global. We're in Asia. We're in Europe, Canada, the United States. 95% of our global customer base is non-vegan. That, wow. is, that is significant because our products are all vegan. 
and common allergen free. They're all plant-based. So what that means is if there's 10,000 people or so a day having Vega, that's 9,500 meals that used to be animal-based that aren't anymore. Whether it's a whey protein shake, whether that's bacon and eggs in the morning, whether that's cereal with uh, cow's milk or goat milk or something else, because we are like a meal replacement. You know, we're an all-in-one drink that people use for breakfast or after workout. Can you imagine that? 10,000 a day that used to be animal-based that aren't. It's very, that's very amazing. significant. That's, more, that's, that's one of the things that I'm most proud of, of the company and our growth. Sure, we're doing well as far as business standpoints and reaching lots of different people in different markets, but we're doing a lot for environment, sustainability, and animals that often gets overlooked. Well, it's so. great to see you guys thriving here. This is amazing. Yeah, and that's our, that's our slogan, too, It's thriving. And I talk about thriving. thriving. Yeah. Really? Right here, look. Yeah. Maybe I got it sub- subliminally. Brendan's book, Thrive. <laughs> Thri- oh, this is Brendan. He, he wrote the Thrive Diet. He has a big 300-page book, the Thrive Diet. This is his first. Book Every he time wrote. I t- tell somebody about Brendan Brazier, they think it, I'm talking about the movie star. The, the like the mummy. They think you're talking about bedazzled. What's, or the, what's that guy's name? Brendan Fraser. Fraser. I just watched one so TV. It's Brazier in, in, and Fraser. In bedazzled. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Brendan Brazier is a formulator of Vega. He's a professional Ironman triathlete, vegan for longer than me. Which is for 13 years for me, I think. 15 or 17 years for him. Long wow. time. Uh, we did a documentary together years ago. Uh, good friends, work together, hang out together, both and Someday travel. he's going to be on vegan radio. Someday he's going to be on vegan radio. He's an extremely <laughs> busy guy. Yeah. In fact, he hasn't returned my last few phone calls. I'm going to have to go in there. training just to catch up to him. Absolutely. Yeah, you gotta, uh, <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, get a fast-moving vehicle to catch him. He's a fast guy. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the first time you had me, and I appreciate this time. And I appreciate you guys the being here. The next time's going to be even better. The next time's even better. That's the thing. We're always striving for improvement. We get better, <laughs> bigger, better, faster, stronger. Gonna, That's what we do. Have- this is Dr. Michael Greger, Director of Public Health and Animal Agriculture at the Humane Society of the United States here at the Boston Vegetarian Food Festival for, I believe, the 13th year in a row. Holy. You haven't missed one. Have not missed one. In fact, I think I've spoken at every single one. Really? Wow. We'll have to go back and look, but I think so. <laughs> What's your talk about? Wouldn't this miss it for the world. This talk, brand new talk, coming here um, uh, on the latest in human nutrition 2008. Next year, I'll give a 2009 talk. But this is just research published over the last year in peer reviewed medical literature on what people should eat and their families should eat for preventing and reversing chronic disease. Reversing. So, this is your latest research? Is this what the Humane Society is paying you to do? So, this is not my latest research, but the latest research published around the world by the top researchers, and I just collect it all. They do all the hard work, and I just sit down for a month and read it all, and then bring it. Um, and so this is years before, um, before it'll even make it into the dietitian textbooks, truly the latest and cutting-edge uh, human nutrition. Uh, this is not really something uh, supported by the Humane Society. Mostly, most of the work I do for them is more uh, kind of the public health impacts of factory farming, so what it does to communities in terms of infant mortality and asthma rates and um, what it does to the environment, global warming, these global infectious diseases. That's mostly what I do. This is more kind of a hobby in my free time um, uh, is, uh, is reading nutrition because I just really love it and love sharing it with people. And, you know, this is uh, – I, I miss Boston love coming back every year. Yeah, well, Boston misses you. <laughs> Tell us something positive from this research about veganism. Is there anything? It, it's all positive. No, all there's just positive. some really wonderful, wonderful stuff that's come out. Uh, so the World Cancer Research Fund uh, re- released their kind of devastating new cancer report, basically looking at every study on diet and cancer in human history 
um, and uh, as you'll see in the talk today, um, it uh, concludes that uh, we should be eating what they call, quote, a predominantly plant-based diet, rich in varieties, fruits, vegetables, nuts, beans, and minimally processed starchy foods, meaning whole grains. So that's what thousands of studies point towards for cancer prevention, a whole foods vegan diet. I'm very excited to share that message today. Um, uh, another phenomenal study, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Harvard Physician Study studying 20,000 Harvard physicians over 20 years and found out, well, what if they just eat a single egg a day? We're not talking an omelet here. One oh, egg yeah. a day significantly increased all-cause mortality, meaning you eat an egg a day, you live a shorter life. You're paying to live a shorter life. So these are the kind of studies that have come out and may have not gotten the kind of uh, media attention they deserve, but really says a lot about how we and our family should eat. We actually did cover that on Vegan Radio, oh, the egg study. Funny, I don't remember that. Well, of course. You don't remember radio. anything we did. <laughs> who, who funded that, that research? And so, that's, research. A, so that's, a, that's a Harvard Medical School um, did, that, uh, did so that study. Harvard so they had a Harvard nurse study. That was they a few did. years ago. And it continues to this day. In fact, they have, have had a number of generations of, of nurses studied. Very important work. So, so is this how long is it? Go ahead. <laughs> It's important for our listeners to note then who actually funded that research, not a vegan organization. It was not the American Egg Board. I can guarantee <laughs> you that. And if it was, they withdrew their, their funding very rapidly. But a lot of times people, people are like, oh, that research, that was, that was funded by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and that's, it's vegans behind that. But Yeah, they're just a front group for PETA. Yeah, they're just a front group. And so it's important to note that it's, this is somebody who's not – doesn't have a bias one way or the other. Well, the science is the science. I mean, you can certainly, funding can determine what studies get done, what studies don't get done, but, uh, you know, there's excellent science, it's out there, and so the only fee, the only concern is that one is selectively citing studies. So, so, yeah, maybe there was a study that showed you live longer eating eggs, but that's why I have to look at all the studies, and you can't just kind of pick and choose, but that's what I do every single year. So I read every issue of every English language nutrition journal in the world, um, and can bring to you know audiences around the country what truly is the latest and what uh, you know and there's some real surprises um, and and sometimes my advice changes year to year but that's the that's the that's what what's the is, uh, is there any bad news for vegans any things we should be watching out for as vegans any uh, new research saying that soy is the devil's yeah, what's the deal food, with the what's soy? going on? No, what's no. the deal with the soy? Uh, no, uh, the soy is fine. What's the concern is B12 deficiency. We're still seeing reports in the medical literature of women, particularly pregnant women, uh, uh, vegans across the board not getting enough B12. They are not consciously making a decision to make sure that they're taking, you know, uh, B12. They're eating B12 fortified foods like cornflakes, Cheerios, you know, breakfast cereals, all, all the soy milks, fortified soy milks have B12 in them, or taking a supplement either once a day or once a week. Those that aren't, we're actually seeing some problems, as we've seen in the past, and I will hit it once again here. It's so critical, and it's so easy to get your vitamin B12. Yeah, and you always highlight that in your talks. And for our listeners, could you could you say, you know, a lot of argument against veganism is, you know, if, if we need this B12 and we can only get it from animals, then it must mean that veganism is not a natural diet. Well, you know, B12 doesn't come from animals. B12 comes from little bacteria, the blank of the earth. We used to get all the B12 we needed drinking out of a mountain, you know, mountain stream or well water, but we don't get a lot of B12 in our water anymore because we chlorinate our water supply to kill off the bacteria. So we don't get a lot of B12 in our water anymore. We don't get a lot of cholera either. That's a good thing. 
But the way we live in our modern world, our sanitized modern world, sanitized for a reason that's good, um, uh, we need to get our B12 from somewhere. Those eating the bodies of animals, they have bacteria that live within their guts, and so their 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 muscles and and fluids may indeed have some B12 for. Um, those eating less than humane diets, but for everyone else, we need to get vitamin B12 somewhere. You know, uh, gorillas eat, you know, bugs, dirt, and feces. All right, that's a natural diet for fellow great apes, but I don't encourage people to do that. It's much easier to take a multivitamin. Well, people who eat dairy get a lot of uh, blood and feces and stuff too. So They do indeed, and they can, that can be a source of B12. <laughs> But that's that's not how. In Each fact, for your B12. no, no. There's studies. There's studies on graduate students where they actually um, were forced to kind of eat their own feces. They 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 they, 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 they sterilized. Was this no, done by Harvard? No, no, they, they, they sterilized. They boiled their 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 their, oh, well, their feces. And so, but then so they, and, and, it the showed, and it showed no, but it showed that they dramatically improved their B12. We actually all create B12 in our colons, just too far down to actually be to to be absorbed. And so, indeed, these people. And many um, cultures that use what are, what's called night soil or human manure as fertilizer can also get B12, but there are food safety concerns. And so I encourage people just to go the easy route, B12 <laughs> fortified foods or supplements, and uh, we can live long, healthy lives. Don't eat your feces. <laughs> <laughs> any, any updates on bird flu, mad cow, all your disease apocalypse <laughs> scenarios? This is. I'm just report. I'm just the messenger here. I know. I know. That's um, uh, the uh, no. It, uh, avian influenza, the highly pathogenic strain H5N1, continues to simmer around the world. Continues to spread to new countries and uh, infect more people. And so we're really still concerned about a global pandemic triggered by avian influenza once it gains the capacity, if it gains the capacity to transmit efficiently from person to person. Uh, we're going to be in a real serious situation. At the same time, it may, in a post-pandemic world, allow people to reflect, wait, wait a second, where did this come from in the first place? And what can we do to prevent it? And I, and I think that'll be an opportunity for, um, for all of us that care about these issues to really go out and say, look, it came from industrialized poultry production, and maybe it will uh, make humanity think twice about where they get the protein sources. And what's the latest on the mad cow stuff? Um, uh, the, probably the biggest stuff this year was uh, the export partners, Korea, with hundreds of thousands of people taken to the streets um, to uh, oh, yeah, try good. to bar the importation of U.S. beef, arguing that it's too dangerous to be fed to their families. Ironically, we still eat it in this country. Yeah. But um, I think of all the of all the animal products to eat. I mean, cows are big. I mean, you, I mean, you could eat steak every day for for you know weeks and not not whittle through one cow. But people are eating chickens. People are eating fish. I mean, they're they're killing a couple animals a week. I mean, they're contributing to the deaths of a couple animals a week. Um, and so. Um, so, you know, there's always a concern with kind of mad cow issues, people scaring people away from beef, moving to smaller animals, and thereby leading to, uh, to more suffering. And indeed, you know, cows spend most of their lives actually out on pasture still to this day. I mean, the, the animals are really factory farmed are the pigs and the chickens, and now increasingly the fish as well on aquaculture farms. Um, and so... Um, so it may be a good thing that uh, you know this, the, the you know that uh, that there wasn't more kind of concern about uh, about mad cow disease because people might switch to smaller animals. Vegan Radio, clearing the air and your colon since 2005. Just to encourage people to uh, continue to work hard for uh, reducing suffering around the world, uh, I uh, 
One can go to farmanwelfare.org for um, our kind of research library that's being studied in the United States. We really try to put out the best, most rigorously documented, fact-checked information for the benefit of the entire um, kind of international animal protection community. And that was Dr. Michael Greger live from the 2008 Boston Vegetarian Food Festival. And you are listening to Vegan Radio on WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. Also on the Pacifica Radio Network and podcasting at veganradio.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to our show, and we'll see you next time. And you best be vegan by then, kids, because Vegan Santa is coming to town. And he knows if you've been naughty, and he knows if you've been nice. All right, we're here with Boston Big Bones. Could you tell us your name? John Talbot. And is this your company? It is my company, yeah. I started it about a year and a half ago. How's it going? It's going really, really great. We have uh, primarily our businesses online. So uh, people go to our website, bbbonz.com, and order. But we're also just starting to sell in retail locations as well, which is uh, fun and challenging at the same time. Could you tell us a little about your company, what your mission is? Who your biggest clients are? Uh, Well, we have clients in all 50 states at this point. So um, actually individual customers over the Internet make up by far about 90% of our business. And our retail sales are only 10% at this point. And we are trying to do our company the right way, do everything good. So everything that we sell is made in the United States. Um, It's either made from recycled materials or it's made by local artisans who are actually hand-making each thing, like our crocs are made by hand by an artisan, Western Mass, Lucia Pottery. So each one is literally made from, uh, you know, ball of clay on a potter's wheel. Our greeting cards are made from 100% post-consumer recycled paper, and they're made with wildflower seeds right in the pulp so you can plant the cards when you're done. Oh, nice. So everything we're trying to do, and each of the cards is drawn by hand, so we have local artists who will draw the cards for us. So each one is done by hand. They're not reproduced so that we can, you know, support local artists who have, you know, want to make some extra income as well. So. And are all the edibles made with vegan ingredients? The edibles are 100% vegan and 100% organic. So even the spices that we use are organic or even the uh, flaxseed that we use will be organic. Everything's organic. This the is soy you know milk. you love your dog. Yes. When you buy something from you guys. Yes, yes. <laughs> or you want to show somebody else how much they should love their own dog. Because a lot of what we do uh, tends to be people who are buying our products for other people. Mm. So like we have um, birthday, happy birthday boxes where you can buy a birthday cake and it'll come with a toy and a card. And send it to a dog that you know who's having a birthday. <laughs> or if a family has a human child, we have a You're Still the Baby gift box. So we send toys and cookies to the dog with a little card that says You're Still the Baby. <laughs> so that the dog knows that, you know, that even though there's a new human, the dog's still the baby in the family. <laughs> so a lot of it is you know, sending gifts to people who don't necessarily have their own dogs, but send gifts to families who do have dogs. It's a great idea. Any uh, celebrity dogs that you're servicing? Um, actually, Rory Friedman just ordered from us, uh, one of the co-authors of uh, the Skinny Bitch books. So uh, we're hoping that uh, her dogs will really, really like the cookies. She's got to do this Skinny Bitch for dogs next. <laughs> she talks to her about <laughs> I mean, a bitch it really is a dog, right? It's true. Female dog. Yeah, exactly. You're on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
So I think there's a connection. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Good luck with your endeavors. This is amazing. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. It's, it's a great company. It's a lot of fun. And our clients are, our customers are fantastic. So it's really, really great. You hear that, customers? You're fantastic. Woo!